Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to bring the master of science of light, David Oshensky, to It's Rainmaking Time. David is founder of the Light Energy Company, which is about to experience its 25th anniversary. He is an expert on the science of light, on lighting itself, everything you ever want to know about light. He speaks all over the world at conferences to educate people. He's aware of how to heal with light. He's a natural-born healer, and we're going to talk about everything that's going to impact you that we can talk about today to help you in the area of light. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome David Oshensky to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for coming back after six years. It's wild, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so many things have not changed in six years, and then there are a few new surprises. So uh, people who are tuning in now are going to get a uh, little up-to-date current status of uh, things like, what about your compact fluorescent lights? Let's talk about that. That's a big heated topic. I know it has been with me. And I know that many of us are confused and are upset about Congress putting in laws to change the lighting that we use, give us a sense of whether this is a good or a bad thing, or is it a mixed bulb? (laughs) Like everything in life, it's a mixed bag. (laughs) The, uh, The law that you're referring to literally says that uh, by the end of December uh, 2012, which I think is an interesting date anyway, uh, by the end of that year, lighting has to uh, achieve a certain efficiency. The concept is we're decreasing the use of electricity, and therefore, by that date, we have to achieve certain low-power limits. And one of the things in the world today that is very low-power consuming is a compact fluorescent bulb. And the, one of the things that are the highest consuming are incandescent bulbs and, um, oh, uh, let's see, halogen bulbs, And these are really high, high high-consuming power. So really what they're telling you to do is manufacturers find a way to make low power. Now, the brunt of that is falling on the compact fluorescence. And so that's why the push, everybody thinks there's a push. You have to have these, and pretty soon you're not going to be able to buy an incandescent. So the game is, what is the what is the real story about compact fluorescence? Because the latest thing that's popping up around is, wow, toxic, mercury. You've got to handle these with kid gloves. You, uh, if, one, if one drops, you have to rush to your hazmat and get it cleaned up. Well, there, I think, is the myth part of it. There is mercury in compact fluorescence, but it is a minimal amount of mercury that's required in it to make the phosphors ignite in a fluorescent bulb. You need to have that. But it is such a low amount that if bulbs were to break in front of me right now, uh, uh, a tub full of them, I would not be concerned about the mercury coming out of it. That's good to hear, David. So on one side, the toxicity, it's there. But my gosh, 
our exposure to mercury in the outside world around us is so many orders of magnitude higher than what you could get from the bulb that it's kind of ludicrous. So basically, um, that should not be a reason to, uh, to not buy compact fluorescents. So that's, uh, I, I, I think that's the take on it at this point. Uh, from my point of view is until they come up with something like the bulbs made out of light-emitting diodes, little LED lights that instead of that last uh, 80 years on your light bulb, uh, when those come along, that'll surplant a better efficiency than compact fluorescence. And I think it's going to happen. You know, it's, Today, it costs you $70 to buy an LED light bulb, which is simply a bulb made out of many, many LED lights in it, little small LED lights. It's so expensive, but that'll eventually come down, and then pretty soon people will have the alternative of buying LED lights. And the compact fluorescence will start diminishing at that point. And... The problem I see with the diminishing of compact fluorescence and fluorescence in general, if you project down ahead to the LED lights coming in, uh, is that we will lose an ability to create the equivalent of sunlight indoors. Talk about that. Explain that to the public. What do you mean by that? Okay. We get sunlight... And sunlight is essential to life on this planet. And people who don't get sunlight essentially have seasonal depression. They have all sorts of lowered immune systems. There's a lot of things that happen when you don't get sunlight. So uh, our, our objective is to have a minimum amount of sunlight each day. Well, if you don't get it, many people don't get it. They live in town, uh, in, in cities, they're indoors all the time. They basically don't get their equivalent of sunlight. So for those people, the compact fluorescent, full-spectrum fluorescent-type lights are a source, an equivalent source of getting sunlight indoors. And as that diminishes, then there is less opportunity for them to compensate for lack of sunlight. And, and not only that, but some of the UV, which is an uh, uh, essential component of sunlight, is in fluorescent full-spectrum lights, and they're now actually reducing the UV in, in those areas. So... Even with the compact fluorescence, we're losing some of the UV also. It's still maintained in the larger tubes, the ones, the fixtures that you see. They usually have that amount of UV in it. So what's happening here is we're, we need a source of equivalent sunlight. Better yet, it's nice to go out in sunlight, but if you can't do it, as millions are affected by this lack of sunlight, uh, you need to have an alternative, and the only way to produce that alternative is in a fluorescent technology. 
Do you think it'll always be that way? That the only way to do it is within a fluorescent technology, and is it okay? Well, being a electronics engineer, and and I don't say uh, it'll always be that way. For instance, incandescent light today, which is awful, and we'll be discussing incandescent light. It's awful, but and it consumes a lot of power. But I think with the challenge of that new law out there, there's going to be a lot of manufacturers that are going to try to make lower uh power consuming incandescent lights so and that and that technology isn't here yet but they're working on it so i think that there may be other forms of light creation that are going to be able to quote mimic the the pattern of sunlight and that may come along and uh certainly the human species has a way of trying to duplicate everything in nature. Well, talk about full spectrum, because everywhere I go, when I go to visit people, when I go to meet with them, and wherever I'm going in buildings and in homes, it's this yellow, bright light. Talk about that as compared to full spectrum. Okay. Let me give you a background first, Kim, to answer that, because what we're talking about here in light, what is what is light? Light, light needs a frame of reference. People go outside and... and and they think, well, I'm in the light, but what is the light they're in? And when they're inside and creating artificial lights, what is that light? So I think it's very important for people to understand light is to have some frame of reference for it. And the best frame of reference I've ever seen is sunlight. We've lived under sunlight on this planet. Uh, we've evolved as a species. It is it is necessary for every part of our life life uh, stream. So basically, what is sunlight when you look at it? The best way to understand sunlight is to see it in a rainbow. And what do you see in a rainbow? You see a complete spectrum of color going on one side, ultraviolet, blues and then through the orange greens and into the reds and then into the infrareds. So that whole spectrum is literally what sunlight is. So there's probably 1,500 wavelengths of light that make up sunlight. So that is sun. When you talk about an incandescent light, well, that incandescent light is mimicking some of the orange, red, yellow part of the spectrum. When you talk about full spectrum, it's mimicking the as close as we can technically build. It's it's replacing all fifteen hundred waves. And if you're talking about the use of a laser or an LED, it's just producing one wave out of the fifteen hundred. And then if you want to get in a far-infrared sauna, which is another part of sunlight. I hear that far-infrared saunas are fantastic. Far-infrared sauna is that part of the sunlight that we feel is heat. That's the heat on us. So this heat has a, in the dry heat as versus a wet heat sauna, the dry heat has the ability to penetrate the tissues and open up the pores deeply and allows the body to detox uh, things that it has acquired, like toxic metals and so forth. 
So the dry heat, far infrared sauna, is a great detoxing tool. And that that's probably its biggest claim to fame. And then there are a whole series of things that it helps boost your immune system and and things on that order. But basically, it's a detoxing tool. But again, it sits and straddles part of this spectrum of sunlight. It's it's on the far right side of the past the red, and it's basically heat. So comparing a full-spectrum bulb, back to our question, full-spectrum bulb mimics the whole range of sunlight, whereas the uh, incandescent light just mimics a short bandwidth in the yellow, orange, and red spectrum. Do you feel that the full spectrum, which mimics the sunlight, even though it's a fluorescent, it's still better for us than a lot of the other bulbs we're currently using or are aware of? It's immensely better for us. <laughs> it's immensely. So um, what I can do is um, maybe at this point I'll hit some bullet points for you, and then we can come back and talk about these if that sounds okay to you. That's fine. Okay. Uh, sunlight. These are just some bullet points on sunlight and full spectrum. Sunlight is a cornerstone of mind and body wellness. We live in sunlight. We evolved in sunlight. Sunlight is our main ingredient for uh, life. The entire spectrum of natural sunlight is essential for optimal function of all living cells not only in us, but in plants and animals. It's probably, and some people argue this, it's the second most important environmental input after food for controlling body functions. Light is essential. 98% of sunlight enters through the eyes. 2% is absorbed through the skin. Sunlight produces all of your vitamin D, and it catalyzes other crucial metabolic processes such as the absorption of calcium, which provides bone growth and teeth growth. And so uh, and the amount of light that you get, the quality of it, the color of it, the frequency of it influences everything in your brain and therefore the rest of the body. Uh, until the advent of antibiotics in the late 30s, the use of sunbathing was internationally accepted as a medical treatment for bacterial viral infections, TB, pneumonia, asthma, wounds, sores, ulcerations, gout, jaundice, psoriasis, acne, mumps. Those were the medical treatments with sunlight. Uh, before, again, the development of antibiotics. Um, a lack of sunlight impairs the natural defensive mechanism of the body to all forms of stress, both physical and emotional. Generally, the competence of your immune system is lowered in the winter, fertility is lower, fatigue increases, overall levels of health decline, uh, winter's darker and shorter uh, daylight hours alter the body's natural rhythms, such as the production of hormones, 
melatonin, serotonin, and neurotransmitters. Uh, with this lack of light, many women experience an upsurge in PMS symptoms. Other individuals complain about feeling out of phase, uh, irritability, moodness, difficulties in performing intellectual tasks. Uh, they try to self-medicate during the winter by increasing their consumption of carbohydrates, alcohol, caffeine, and sugary desserts. Do you think that that's one of the reasons there's this very big influx now of information and knowledge about vitamin D3, about how if you take vitamin D3, it protects you from having no sunlight and raises your vitamin D levels. In other words, it gets you to the point as if you were in the sun. They're saying now that there's this huge science about vitamin D3 and that when people take enough of it, they're not depressed in the winter when they can't get in the sun. Right. Remember our ability as a human species to compensate for nature. Yes. <laughs> so if we're not getting sunlight, which produces vitamin D naturally in the body, then we create vitamin D supplements and the uh, Vitamin D3 is just the latest version of trying to compensate for the lack of sunlight. So we will always try to find a, a stopgap, a plug-up, and of course, it's going to work. But part of the problem, too, is, as we've seen in all kinds of drugs, there's side effects, so the game here that I always look at is that if you're getting a natural vitamin D production via the sunlight and we produce an artificial one, then and we see, yeah, that helps, just like you said. It, it helps the, some of the symptoms. But on the, on the other hand, uh, our body quits learning how to produce the natural vitamin D, and you may, and I'm not saying vitamin D3 has, but I think almost anything artificial that goes in the body has a ramification, a side effect. Some of them are overt. Some of them are you know about. Others you don't. They show up later. But let's face it, almost anything you want to throw into the body is going to, artificially, is going to have some ramifications. So... So at least I can say vitamin D3, great. That's it. If you're not getting vitamin D, that's one way to get it. But it really shouldn't stop you from going out and trying to find sources of sunlight. Get Change this game. Let's talk about sources of sunlight and how long people should be in this. If you can't get to the sun, what are you recommending? Well, let's talk about how much yes, sun you need. Yes, let's and, do that. <laughs> and the... Generally accepted level is that if you can get a minimum of 30 minutes a day of sunlight, minimum, I'm talking about the scratch bottom minimum, 30, 30 uh, minutes a day, um, your system's going to continue sputtering along. Uh, ideally, you probably want about two hours of sunlight a day. Now, what happens is the Two hours a day, uh, sunlight enters 98% through, as I mentioned earlier. Through your uh, eyes. Enters through your eyes. 98% through your eyes. So uh, sunlight can, in fact, 
be obtained anywhere. You can be under a shade tree. You do not have to be in direct sun beating down on your skin. You need to be able to be outside of a box where sunlight can flow in through your eyes. And when I say boxes, uh, the obvious box is you're in your house. You, you are in an office right now. Uh, people who are in cars are in boxes. People who wear glasses are in boxes. Uh, boxes mean that sunlight is being restricted from coming into your body. And so if you have glasses, if you take the glasses off for a little bit during this 30 minutes of sunlight, then you get the effects of sunlight. And so basically, uh, uh, this is probably a good spot to say, what about all the sun that's coming in through your eyes? What's, what's happening here? You know, what's happening to the body that the sun is causing? You know that most people that live in different parts of the world cannot get an hour or two hours or even 30 minutes a day of sunlight. Yeah, yeah. you'll get to that. You'll get to what we're going to oh, do well, about it. I think we should answer that right now. That'd be great. The, the answer is that if you can't get that 30-minute minimum to two-hour ideal of sunlight, then the equation that I've used is that six hours of full-spectrum light in your vicinity, meaning in your office, your home, wherever you're at, uh, six hours of, of full-spectrum light is equivalent to 30 minutes of sunlight. So these people that can't get out, if they arrive at the understanding that artificial light is bad and they're replacing it with full-spectrum, and then they have that exposure, well, you are in your office now, and the chances are, even a hard worker like you, you're probably spending eight to ten hours. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm a hard worker? <laughs> <laughs> I have full spectrum above me. I have full spectrum everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So what you're doing is you're getting your sunlight exposure. Your body is absorbing it like a sponge. And, and so we that's how you get it. And, and, and that's the game of how do you replace the lack of sunlight. And um, did that answer that question? It did. It did. The thing is that people will also go from light to dark rooms. So as they move about their home, they're not always going to be sitting under a full-spectrum light. Well, the obvious solution to that is why don't you put another bulb in the dark room? Exactly. <laughs> and then call the light energy company. <laughs> what a novel idea. <laughs> but actually, interestingly enough, sunlight... Um, when you get sunlight, it uh, lasts in the body about 48 hours. Um, it's, it doesn't, it's not in there and it lasts forever. It dissipates. People who work in uh, New York, office buildings, take a vacation to Florida. They go down to Florida. Uh, they get a week in the sun. They come back. Their, their spirits are high. Their health's good. And, um, and two days later, uh, the machine starts grinding down. <laughs> so you have to replenish sunlight every day. You know, 48 hours is the most you can get out of that before your body uses it up. And, and so by you having bulbs throughout the office, you're actually doing a great job because you're getting a steady flow, right? And 
and it's keeping your body going. So uh, that's the game here. Uh, having bulbs in even in one room and not in the other is not too bad because... Uh, you're not going to spend 48 hours in the dark room. But what is coming through my eyes now? Okay. What is happening from the full-spectrum bulb into my eyes that's translating over six hours into 30 minutes of sunlight? Okay. Uh, and when you say what's coming from the full-spectrum full is the same thing that's coming from the sun. It's the frequencies, right? Uh, wavelength is the correct term. Okay. A wavelength means the length of a wave. The shorter the wave, the different color you see, like blue is a short wave, red is a longer wave. And the length of these waves, this is how we perceive color by these waves. Well, remember I said there's about 1,500 major wavelengths in Correct. sunlight. And those enter through the eyes, and the mechanism is that they enter through the optic nerve into what is called the hypothalamus gland. And the hypothalamus gland redirects sunlight to... It does several things. It redirects the sunlight to the different glands in the system. The pineal gland is an example where the hormone melatonin is produced. Um, Melatonin is produced during the dark period when you're sleeping, that's what your body produces. That's why you sleep so well. Then, in when the sun enters the eyes, it shuts in the morning. When you first get up in the morning, it shuts down the melatonin production and switches uh, into the production of serotonin. Uh, serotonin is this feel-good <laughs> uh, type of thing where you're active and you feel good. So that mechanism takes place by the light entering the hypothalamus, switching either switching the dark melatonin production to the daylight serotonin production. Well, if you don't get sunlight in there, then when you wake up in your apartment, you go outside, it's still dark, you are over you get in your car, you go into the office. All during that time, you never got anything to turn off the melatonin. And so your body needs to uh, artificially do that. So when you, Kim, have a bulb in your bathroom or above your head, the minute you get exposed to that, it's doing the job of sunlight. It's switching the melatonin off and producing the serotonin. Got it. And this hypothalamus gland does several other things as a result of the sun coming in. It actually regulates your body's biological clock, its biorhythms. It's, it tells the body whether it's day or night, whether it's Texas time, East Coast time, West Coast time. It tells it whether it's winter or summer. So the whole body reacts to this sensory input that comes in. So we regulate our our body clocks. Um, If I'm traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast to do uh, a lecture, I say, "Uh uh-oh, I know jet lag's coming up. (laughs) So what I do is I start turning the lights on 
three days in advance because there are three time zones. So each time I start turning the lights on earlier or later, depending on whether you're going East Coast or West Coast, turning the lights on earlier, then basically my body starts the clock adjusting. And then two days and then one day. So by the third day in advance of my flying, I have readjusted my body clock with nothing else than the use of full-spectrum light or because I can't use sunlight because uh, it's it, it's dark in the areas now that I want to alternate. You know, I'm on the West Coast, it's dark. So full-spectrum light allows me to juggle my body clock. So when I fly to New York, I get off the plane, I'm already adjusted to New York time. I don't get jet lag. So basically... That occurs in the hypothalamus gland. So what we've done is we've regulated the glands that produce uh, the hormones melatonin and serotonin. We've balanced the body clock. And probably most important is that the hypothalamus converts light into call them pseudo-electrical pulses that go through the body and feed light energy to every cell in the body. Cells need some kind of an energy source besides food and uh, air. You know, I mean, you eat food, you eat nutrients, you, uh, you breathe oxygen, but where's your energy source? Uh, it's light. You know, our cells are like an automobile engine. <laughs> You can feed it gas, you can give it air, but if you don't have a spark plug, your car starts sputtering. So your body needs the sunlight entering through the eyes to create this uh, uh, electrical spark plug to the cells so that they metabolize the foods and the oxygen. That's fascinating that the light coming from the sun is actually powering the body I mean, I really never thought of it that way. I know it's powering the earth with an ability to function and to have the proper temperatures, but I never thought of it as powering the body. Oh, literally. <laughs> literally. So, I mean, it's very easy to, for you to visualize if your spark plug's not going, your car malfunctions. If you're not getting your 30 minutes to two hours a day of sunlight, your body starts sputtering. And... And just like your car starts having advanced symptoms of problems, <laughs> then the body starts signaling you advanced um, medical problems, literally. By people who live in the northern hemispheres around the world, um, they get obviously less sun than the people near the equator and in the southern hemispheres. The so what we find when the blanket called fall winter <laughs> hits us is this blanket of, of darkness and restricts even further our ability to get sunlight. And, and when this happens, the population starts showing the symptoms of light starvation. And those symptoms are like the ones that I was talking about you have uh, depression. Yeah, you have irritability. Uh, you have depression. You have craving carbohydrates. You, you intellectually, your mind's not functioning very good. Uh, you're 
women's menstrual cycles change, the the immune system drops, you catch more bugs. Uh, basically, the body is telling us and shouting at us that says, feed me, <laughs> feed me sunlight. And it, it just shouts at you. And, and yet we are martyrs. We, we say, oh, I guess that just happens in winter. And, and they put up with all these symptoms. They complain about it. But the solution is so simple. If sun isn't there, if you don't understand this mechanism that works in the body, if the sun is not there, then you've got to get an artificial replacement for it. And that's where the full-spectrum bulb comes in. I noticed that you were one of the contributing authors of a book on light and medicine today called Light Years Ahead. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know why I got into light uh, 25 years ago as, Tell us. as an engineer? <laughs> And um, it's because, really, at that time, I lived in Seattle. Now, concurrently, where I'm living now is Hawaii. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, but when I lived in Seattle, um, it, you, you go nuts during the winter. It rains continually. It's overcast. Your body exhibits all those symptoms. So I just started researching it. And... Researching, first I was attracted to sunlight, and then uh, artificial light, and, and then full-spectrum light. And so I needed, I, I literally, I needed to go into light because I lived in Seattle. <laughs> and I'd go crazy over the years if I didn't uh, alleviate those those symptoms during the winter. So... An interesting thing during the winter, a lot of people don't really realize this, in why <clears throat> during the summer, you um, viruses, bacteria, things that float through the air and people give to each other and you pick up, all of these viruses and bacteria thrive in the summertime. They're, and these same virus and bacteria are more or less dormant during the winter. And during the winter, uh, the cold the, makes them more dor dormant. But now, when do people catch most of their flus and colds? The winter. Winter. Now, why should they get more colds then when viruses and bacteria are dormant? I'll call them almost on deathbed. Why? I don't think people think that. <laughs> I know. I don't even think people know that or think that. I certainly didn't. I'm not saying that I represent all the people listening, but but David, is that a fact that viruses are dormant oh, in yeah. the winter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a fact. And here's what happens. That's wild. <laughs> here's what happens. In the summertime, you have a lot of sunlight. People are out of doors in the summer, and so their immune systems grow strong, very, very strong immune systems. And immune systems are literally uh, cells in your blood, uh, white cells, B and T cells. They are strong. There are many of them. And so bacteria and uh, viruses and stuff entering the body are quickly eliminated. But now in the winter, 
you don't get enough sun, your immune system starts dropping like a rock. And after a short period of time of no sunlight, your immune system is really compromised. And as a result, half-dead bacteria and virus can enter this. There's no opposition. <laughs> they take root and you get uh, your in, uh, flus, your colds. And so it's basically another ingredient of sunlight keeping a strong immune system. That's really fascinating. I never knew that. So uh, we keep coming back to, wow, the sun, we take it for granted. And, and once in a while we scratch our heads and mopo during the winter when we don't get it, but we don't really carry that further and, and find out why we're feeling this way and why we're doing these things. And so... Sunlight, again, then, uh, I guess one last comment on sun before I move into artificial light a little bit, is on sunlight, these 1,500 waves of light. Okay, so what's, so there's a, a big range of these. So what's the significance? Well, from a natural standpoint, each wavelength acts differently in the body. If you want an analogy you could equate each wavelength to, say, um, a mineral, a vitamin, <laughs> you know, and so vitamin B1, 2, 3, 4, 12, niacin, iron, etc. The individual waves of light coming from sun going through the hypothalamus are literally converted into 1,500 types of, of minerals and vitamins equivalent, Okay. And therefore, your body gets the full range of this. Um, we, of course, again, when we don't get sunlight entering in the body, we compensate by artificially, as a human species, artificially producing a stopgap. So we make supplements. <laughs> we make vitamins and minerals, and you start swigging these down. Why? Why did you have to do that? Because simply you weren't getting the natural equivalent of those. It wasn't going in the body. It wasn't metabolizing that stuff. So, again, we make vitamin, including your vitamin D3 is just a newer version of it, but we try to compensate. So the value of the sun, just to... to, to appreciate the totalness of what it does to our bodies. And and we should have learned as soon as we cut the lights out and shut down for winter, our body changes, we should be asking ourselves why, and we should be looking for it, and we should be looking for compensation for that. Now, you sell light boxes, desks and floor lamps, and screw-in bulbs. Yeah, you can, in today's world... You can virtually put full-spectrum light in a number of sources. The only thing you can't replace is, say, a halogen light. But you can take any incandescent light, get rid of it, put in a full-spectrum. You can go to light boxes if you want to get brighter. Uh, your depression is lower. You want more brightness. You want more effects. Um, and, and with the development of lamps and floor lamps and desk lamps, the newest versions are literally like light boxes. They, they're dimmable. 
<laughs> you can take these lights and you can these floor lamps and desk lamps and you can change them from a low of 30 watts equivalent light to 300. They're like a light box if you need them. But the real impact is that they will help things like reading, eye strain. Um, so they not only have medical benefits, but they have very physical benefits to these. But the point, and I'll kind of get into that with artificial light, but basically the game is that you have um, that that you have ways of supplanting the lack of sunlight anywhere in your house. So, for example, people can be outside when there's sunlight. They don't have to be like baking in the sun. They can right. just be sitting outside in a chair or laying down, etc. They don't have to be baking. They just have to be in the sun. As long as sun is entering your eyes and some of it hitting your body. But sunlight bounces off of sidewalks, walls. <laughs> it bounces. Light bounces. And as long as you're not in the box, you, you don't. as long as you're outside, um, you have to be outside of your home, your house, your automobile with the windows rolled up, uh, your glasses, your contacts, etc. And then you will be able to get your sunlight in. Um, I'd like to have people experience this this impact if they would just in, when they're in a box when they're in the house when they're in an office if they would just be aware of how they feel and it's usually not very good and immediately when going out of a door when you go outside if they are aware of how their body feels the minute they break out of the box and into the sunlight the body responds like a sponge. <laughs> and I, I just encourage people to experience that a couple of times because that really drives it home. Lack of sunlight indoors, sunlight outside. Wow, here's effect on me. What about in overcast conditions? Years ago, I went to the beach. It was overcast. I was laying down and I got burned. And I thought, how did that happen? I didn't see the sun. <laughs> Uh, some forms of UV come through the clouds. Uh, some forms of UV, there's UVA, B, and C. Some of it comes through the clouds and some of it is bounced off of it. So uh, got it. even though you don't have these really good uh, wavelengths uh, that I was telling you, these 1500, you do get some of the ultraviolet that comes through uh, and that's why you ended up burning. Is anything about ultraviolet beneficial for us? It's essential. <laughs> it's the if sunlight does what I told you, you know, it's, it's that important to the body. Then ultraviolet is the most important of all those wavelengths. When people are, let's say, they rent a sun booth and they go into this sun booth to get tans, are they getting UV? What are they getting? They're getting UV, and sometimes if people are having troubles in the winter they don't have any full spectrum lights they don't have any access to uv then i don't have a problem with them going into a tanning booth for one 20 minute period every two weeks as a uv replenishment gas station so to speak and but if you start doing it daily uh, where you're affecting a tan, then you are getting 
too much UV. Why don't people know this? Because I believe most of the publications are on the ills of UV. Uh, I think you can find that anywhere, and then you're encouraged to get sunscreens and so forth to protect yourself. Well, that's a tough media blitz, so to speak, that comes from all sources uh, to bad, bad UV, bad, bad, bad. Yet, 30 years ago, UV was um, used by the medical profession to literally take care of uh, bacteria on the skin. Um, A whole raft of medical things were treated with sun. But then the UV was then stated as, oh, cause of cancer and cataracts. And so we now must get all of our UV away from us. And in doing so, we take the main ingredient of sunlight that we've had for, what, let's call it millions of years. If if it UV was truly that bad, then our species wouldn't be here today because we'd all died out from cancer. Uh, we'd all be blind from cataracts if that were the case, but we're not. I think the sun has gotten a bad rap. For example, there are electromagnetic microwave stations that have blown holes in our ionosphere, allowing in radiation, gamma rays to hit the Earth. So it happens to be, this is my view anyway, that the sun is just out there, right? So if you're out in the sun, the sun is being blamed for all these cancers when there's other things coming in through the air that happen to be there when there's light because our atmosphere has changed too. Right. Now the atmosphere, remember I said there was UVA, B, and C? Yes. The atmosphere blocks C. That's the only deadly UV part. So when you blow a hole in it, as you said in the atmosphere. Not only are the gamma rays and the other ones coming through, but UVC is allowed to come in. Right. And that's not the fault of the sun. That's the fault of what many of the black projects are doing to our air. Yeah, exactly. So UV, and if you boil down a cancer, for instance, we all carry the origins of cancer in our body. Why does it activate in some people? And in this particular case, I'm just talking about skin cancers, melanoma, and basal cell carcinomas, things like that. The, um, why does that trigger? Why, you know, why does person 1, 5, and 42 get cancer and the rest don't? It's because of the toxicity condition in your body. It's the food you eat, the stress you're under, the um, water you drink, all the exposure to microwaves, the exposure to heavy metals, all of this thing does what? It creates a toxicity condition in the body that is triggered by excessive UV. And so instead of cleaning up the toxicity, we say ban the UV. (laughs) That's why I think this is so important because there's a lot of people that are scared of the sun. It's been said, never put on your skin what you wouldn't eat. And yet we're putting thousands of chemicals on our skin to, quote, protect us from this horrible sun. I just think it's very interesting. Yes. uh, uh, Basically, my experience has been over 25 years that people who use sunscreen, literally because they're paranoid of sun, but go out very little in the sun but still wear sunscreen, get cancer. 
it te- basically says the ingredients in sunscreen are more cancer-producing than they're cancer-protecting. Do you put anything on when you go out into the sun? No, and I live in Hawaii, and I'm in the sun all the time. I, I basically control the amount of time that I'm in the sun. I don't. I, I don't go. I go in in the morning. I do not spend midday out in the sun. I spend the afternoon in the sun, so I avoid the hottest part of the day. So it's always the old rule: eight to ten and two to five is when you should be in the sun. And I just let the body naturally can, not from overuse, and so I'm pretty much protected. And it's interesting that people like me, okay, I'm in the light for a lot of years. The originator and the developer of full spectrum light, John Ott. I love him. Talk about him. He lived in Chicago, etc. He he discovered the detrimental effects of artificial light on plants primarily and then people and then found out the advantages of sunlight, and then was the developer of the full-spectrum light. And uh, where does he? Where did he end up before he died? He lived in 93. He moved to Florida. So all people <laughs> who really, if we're an example of people who dig into light a lot, what happens? We go to the sun. <laughs> We get the heck out of areas that don't have sun, and if we can't go, then we utilize the recommendations of full-spectrum light as a replacement for it. Was his groundbreaking work accepted or minimally accepted? Yeah, looking back over 50, 60 years of this stuff now, um, I'd say if if it wasn't accepted, we would not have produced full-spectrum lights even to the extent we have now. And so your medical doctor, I guess, is the proof of pudding. You go into him in Seattle and you say, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. Uh, The doctor will very often say, go get a light box. (laughs) So what does that tell you? You know, so that's got to be accepted or the doctor wouldn't do the prescription. So they may not accept all the details, but essentially the thrust of you need sunlight has been accepted and, 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 uh, Sunlight used to treat TB and, a, and psoriasis and a number of things. So his, I think his things are marginally accepted by the medical profession. Very interesting. Talk a little bit about lighting that is... Bad. The bad lighting. And I wanted to say something in our conversation earlier today. You talked about the LED side and you said that in Bruce Lipton's book on the oh, biology of belief. Okay. I want you to talk about that point. Remember I said uh, the background of sunlight that you could actually reduce down to a single wave of light? Yes. Okay, that's what a laser and an LED produce, a single wave of light. And the game with LED light is that it was determined back in the 70s, 80s, actually a little bit in the 60s, that single wave light could affect cellular tissue. Now, this is different than like sunlight, which comes into your body and keeps you healthy and distributes all the light you need. But taking one wave of light and applying it to the body, to the tissues, uh, was really miraculous in the sense that it could kill pain on, on a continuous setting. And if you turned it on and off rapidly, pulsed it, so to speak, um, 
it could stimulate rapid repair of tissue. So this was the advent of low-power lasers and LEDs. And the concept was this, that um, if you take your analogy here, if you take your television set, it has a sensor in it, and you have a remote control that's putting out, incidentally, a wave of infrared invisible light. So when you hit your remote control, it sends a wave of light to the TV sensor. The sensor responds only to the single wave light, and it turns on the electronics and the TV set works. Okay, every cell in our body operates the same way, that basically a single wave of light can activate any abnormal cell tissue while not affecting any healthy cell tissue. And the way it does this is that Within a, if you picture a cell as a round circle, call it a typical cell, inside of it, it has all the DNA and, uh, and uh, DNA, RNA, mitochondria, proteins, that's everything that, that the cell needs to be alive. And um, for many years, it was presumed that the LED and laser light work because the light would affect little sensors that were internal to the cell. And uh, it would they would literally, when you sh- put an LED or a, a laser on it, it would cause a, um, it would affect the sensor and the cell would immediately jumpstart like your TV set. And instead of turning on the electronics, it turned on the bioelectronics in your cell, and the cell proceeded to heal itself just like the TV continued to stay on. Well, Bruce Lipton came along with his book, Biology of Belief. He's a microbiologist and said, hey, the brains of the cell are not inside they're on the outside. That's why we call it a membrane, <laughs> because all these sensors are located, and he showed how they function. So our body, each cell, has a load of sensors on the outside, and these sensors is how the cell communicates with its environment. It's the equivalent of our eyes, ears, nose, etc. So basically, the uh, cells respond only when they're damaged or abnormal. It's like if you shined an LED light on cell tissue that's healthy, it's like trying to turn on a TV that's already on. Whereas if the cell is damaged, these sensors actually respond, where they ignore it if they're healthy. If they're damaged, they respond. They turn on literally the cell's dynamics, and the cell proceeds to heal itself. When the cell is done healing, it no longer responds to light. How is this used, for example? You have an LED unit that you developed, right? A phototherapy unit. Yeah. LED lights, um, literally what you do is you put LED lights over areas where you have medical problems or pain or virtually anything in it. Um, I'm going to kind of capsulize this because if we could do um, an, another whole show on just the LEDs and, and their advent in there. We've kind of stayed pretty much to sunlight, full-spectrum light, etc. But basically, LED lights can penetrate 
uh, effectively up to six, eight inches in the body, depending on the size and strength of the unit. Um, and they can activate cells. So basically, LED units that contain um, pulse settings and solid settings can be used for pain relief for solid and, and accelerated healing on pulse. Wasn't it NASA who discovered this? No, well, NASA came across it. Uh, we started in 1985. R- Russia started in the late 70s, and uh, early 70s actually, and uh, they discovered the advantage of single frequency light. NASA came on the scene in the year 2000 and said, "Oh, these things work. We'll use them to heal our astronauts in space. Uh, astronauts who get." injured in space don't heal because of weightlessness. And since LEDs spur a quick healing, NASA came along and said, hey, these are applicable to our astronauts. And so there was information published in National Geographic about NASA using these. And and that uh, went from LEDs being less known than the effects of sunlight uh, to... Everybody wants to learn about LEDs now because of NASA. And that's what's happened. The the whole LED game has proliferated from the year 2000 up to now. And, uh, but there was so much work done for 25 years prior to that on LEDs. They just weren't really well known. Talk for a minute about the fact that China owns practically all the manufacturing of light bulbs, even in America. Yeah. um, Manufacturing facilities have always migrated to the lowest cost of producing light. And so it used to be uh, Europe, and then it used to be Mexico, and then it migrated to China. So in today's world, China produces virtually all of the world's use of light, certainly all of the United States. So we better be nice or they'll turn off the lights. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, you know, all full-spectrum lights also came from China. And uh, recently, uh, full-spectrum lights have been really scarce for the last four months or so, uh, actually five months, because China wasn't able to switch gears and quit producing the incandescent bulbs and the standard compact fluorescents that are not full spectrum. And so the the distributors here putting in orders to China have now, at China's discretion, been out of bulbs for six months, all these healthy ones. Oh, my God. And now the same thing could happen with any lighting bulb. (laughs) <laughs> if China chose to restrict things for technical reasons, you know. Why can't we manufacture full-spectrum light bulbs here in America? Why? We can't. Uh, I mean, why have we offshored any manufacturing? It's cheaper. Uh, it's more expensive to do it here. The only reason, I mean, we had the facilities to do it. We can create them again. The question is uh, the economics. Um, people want to buy their incandescent light bulb for three for a dollar. <laughs> and uh, so we can't produce them three for a dollar. And the same thing goes for things like full spectrum, that uh, people don't want to pay $10, $11 for bulbs when they can pay three for a dollar. Part of it is it's a mindset, right? It's a paradigm. 
But people don't think about light the way you're describing this universe of potential from light and beneficial aspects of light. I think with that paradigm in place, it would be different. It's like paying for good food, good wine, good supplements. People think nothing of paying for supplements. Exactly. So it has to, it, it, things like you're doing here with this interview and, and other sources of, of um, information about light, it just, once people start thinking about it and then people say, I want a full spectrum light, then, then they will be made more and they will be distributed more and the price will come down even further. I love it that they're not yellow bulbs. That yellow bright light is just terrible feeling. It yeah. feels terrible. Yeah, yellow is the worst color on the human body. It causes your nerve endings to contract. It causes your eyes to squint. It causes glare on paper. It is the single worst frequency or wavelengths of light. And so um, the, the, we get a double whammy. Um, when we don't get our sunlight from outside because we spend all of our time inside, then we are subjected to the wrong kind of light. So we get a double whammy. Not only do are we starved for our sunlight, but we are punished more by the yellow light. And so when you replace every current type yellow-orange bulb, whether it be a fluorescent bulb or an incandescent or a halogen, by replacing each one of those, you remove a irritant and a depressant and a, um, a disease-causing situation. You're taking it out. You're getting rid of the stuff that's inside. And at least you're making your habitat inside closer to sunlight. You're bringing sunlight from outside to inside, and you're banishing the bad light. You got me all excited when you were talking about the advances of blue spectrum. Talk about that. Okay. Remember I said the light coming in from sunlight, which includes UV and sunlight, that affects the uh, cones of the eyes. Our eyes have two features in them. They have rods and they have cones, <laughs> and they respond to different, uh, uh, to different things, different wavelengths. Well, the um, almost all lights are what are called uh, photopic, which means they they have brightness. They respond to brightness like yellows and orange, and and so when we treated seasonal depression, we created sunlight, which uh, UV and bright light, which really affected the cones of the eyes, and then affected the hypothalamus gland in the way we discussed earlier positively. Well, they discovered, too, that a blue light that is used for night vision, it's very low level, it's a blue part of the spectrum, and they found out that, oh, the blue part of the spectrum affects the rods of the eyes. They call this scotopic low intensity instead of photopic high intensity. And they found that this was really helpful in doing the same thing with hypothalamus to reduce some, some symptoms of seasonal affected disorder, SAD. And so there was a good alternative treatment. And 
so what we saw happening, though, is that the blue was integrated along with the full spectrum, so that many types of blue, uh, and you don't really see the blue, it's still like white light, but it's got blue in it. And uh, so we found that uh, that's great, that's a positive thing. It means you could be treated with full spectrum light, the regular type sunlight with UV, and you could be treated with the light that contained blue. And you don't even have to have full spectrum for the blue to work. <laughs> you don't really need the full spectrum. The blue affected it. But the problem is that I think um, manufacturers and distributors latched onto the fact that, oh, well, we know UV is good, but it's got such a bad press, so let's eliminate UV and use the blue and treat seasonal depression with blue. So again, UV caused even uh, full-spectrum manufacturers to not only incorporate blue, but almost swing to blue. Do you sell the bulbs that are both full-spectrum and blue? Yes. In fact, almost every... Uh, the, the best way today's world, almost all compact fluorescents, do not contain UV. The blue lights obviously do not contain UV. Still, the best way to get UV into your body is with the uh, four-foot tubes that are, you know, in the ceilings. All of those are still made with UV and full spectrum, even though they put some blue in it. So right now, the UV source that is the best are the four-foot tubes or various length tubes that are in the fixtures. And when you get those, you really want to get what are called the skinnier tubes, the, the dash T8 tubes, as versus the old fatter tubes, which are T12. The only reason is not the bulb, but the fixture. Uh, T8 fixtures do not put out radiation. They do not put out flicker. The older fixtures for T12s have... Uh, radiation coming out of them, and uh, they flicker. So today's world, the new T8 fixtures are desirable with full-spectrum bulbs in them. What an interesting life you lead. <laughs> <laughs> you lecture at many conferences, health conferences. Yeah. Are you traveling a lot now? No, I've been doing this for 25 years, and um, I don't know, some 600 lectures or so. So... Um, now that I'm in Hawaii, I tend to have throttle back on the lecture circuit, and uh, it's okay. <laughs> Traveling around's a lot, <laughs> and so I don't do as many lectures anymore as I used to. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us on this segment of It's Rainmaking Time about light? Two things. One is, if, if people want to go to our website, uh, it's uh, lightenergycompany.com, and you've got to spell company all the way out lightenergycompany.com. Also, our telephone number is 800-544-4826. That's 800-544-4826. And it's the, it, the letters are LightCo, 1-800-LIGHTCO. And, um, and I say that because people can send emails in from there. They can go look at it. They can get more information. Because what I'm saying in today's world, other than the things that we've talked about already, is that with so much 
problems with so much medical condition, so many things coming out, that the one thing people can do as a preventative is to keep that immune system up. And the five ways that I can recommend for keeping immune systems up and healthy. Number one, get your quota of 30 minutes to two hours a day of sun. Number two, use full-spectrum lights for at least six hours a day to get your equivalent of 30 minutes of sunlight. Use far-infrared saunas are good things to boost immune systems. The use of these LED units, the light-emitting diode used for repairing tissue, can be used on the bloodstream to boost the white cells, B and T cells in the bloodstream. So you can actually use these single wavelength red lights to boost the immune system cells to actually cause them to be stronger and healthier. And so those are four ways with light to do it. And there's also one concept of heat therapy that will cause the body to produce more immune system cells from the bone marrow. And it's, it's on the website. It's called a thermal therapy, and it's really a rectal heat unit for prostate conditions and for um, hemorrhoids. But as a side effect, as an additional effect, it causes the body to produce immune system cells. So what I'm saying is there are five reasonably natural ways to boost the immune system. And if you do that, you will survive through a lot of things that are happening in the world that otherwise, with a lowered immune system, you would probably be compromised. And there are thousands of things that can be out there affecting you. So this is one way to keep yourself and your immune system up, and you have your best bet. And remember the first two things I gave you on that immune system are sunlight and full-spectrum light. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to David Olshensky. He is the founder of the Light Energy Company at lightenergycompany.com. We appreciate you being on the show and returning after six long years. <laughs> you know, five of those, I stopped broadcasting. I got aggravated with the stations that were not accepting my work, and I quit. And then I came back. I was inspired by my partner to continue to do it, and I'm glad I'm back. And I thank you for being back and sharing yourself with us. Well, thank you, Kim. And I might suggest, since this one was focused so heavily on the sun, and, and I really didn't get to do a... The LEDs, which are so big that you might want to... Let's do a whole piece on uh, uh, LEDs. Yeah, a whole separate one on the healing effects of uh, LEDs and lasers because it is really a lot more popular and a lot more people are aware of it now, and I think they need to know about what are good products and what are not since more people are making them. Good. So we're going to invite you back to do separate segments on LEDs and what was the other one? Uh, far infrared. And far infrared. And, and cold lasers, too. These are the really weak lasers. LEDs are preferable to lasers, but people need to know what lasers do also and what's the difference, 
What's the advantage of an LED over a laser, for instance? Do you want to go ahead and do that now, or do you want to set aside a separate time? I'll tell you, I'll tell you one bullet, and then we'll set it aside. Okay. As you followed from our lecture, that the, uh, that the nature of having a single wavelength, isolated one wavelength, is what makes all of this happen, how tissue responds, how you can get healing, how you can get pain relief. Well, there's only two ways to produce a single wave. And one is with a laser and one is with a light-emitting diode. Uh, lasers fall in lots of categories, from cutting lasers to weak lasers. We want weak lasers. Now, lasers and LEDs both produce a single wave of length of light, whereas a laser is focused, which means you can point like a laser pointer all the way across the room and see the little dot. An LED is like the little lights in your stereo units and your car dashboard and your tail lights. now. They produce non-focused light, single wavelength, but non-focused, which means the farther away you shine it, the bigger the light is. <laughs> it just diffuses. And, but the nature of healing is really around not whether it's focused or not focused, but whether it contains only one wave. And therefore, the LED is much preferable to the laser. You could never put the laser in your eye, for instance, where an LED, you can treat glaucoma, cataracts, macular degeneration. You can treat a whole bunch of eye conditions with an LED because it's safe. It's cheaper to make. It lasts longer. And so as a result, uh, people always want to know, well, do I get a laser or an LED? Well, Obviously, LEDs are safer, cheaper. There's a whole raft of things. That's why they occupy probably 80% of all research literature on the Internet now. That's huge. Well, it used to be when we first started uh, in the late 80s that uh, 80% of all known research, and there wasn't a lot then, was all low-power lasers. And now it's just, switch the other way. It's now 80% LEDs. Because you can't hurt yourself, there are no side effects, you can't do anything wrong with an LED, but you can't say that about a laser. So, therefore, uh, if we have a session, we will, we will talk a lot about the mechanism of how they work and what they do and, and the fact that they're now becoming more... Six years ago, there, there were few companies... Uh, 2000, when, before NASA came out, you could count the companies on two hands. <laughs> and 25 years ago, you could count them on three fingers. <laughs> so you can see that the use of LEDs is proliferating now. And so people are, more people are aware of it and therefore are asking more questions. Just like they're aware of sunlight and, and full-spectrum light, they're asking more questions now. So as people get smarter and more aware, they want to know. So I think that's why having a separate section on the other type of light uses is, would be beneficial. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. It's always fun being with you, Kim. <laughs> we have fun, don't we? 
May the light shine upon you. May the light, the light is shining upon you, David. We appreciate <laughs> well, all of your guidance and your work and your products are wonderful. I can actually say, ladies and gentlemen, I use his products and I don't use them all. I haven't gotten them all, but I use the full spectrum light bulbs and they're fantastic. And I cannot be in a room with yellow light bulbs anymore. <laughs> okay. Again, the website is Light Energy Company, spelled all the way out. And the telephone number is 800 544 4826. Thank you so much.